Hi there, this is Stuart McKee, host of Musicians FAQ Podcast. Please join me weekly where we have music and chat with some of Canada's hottest artists. Today is today and I'm awake. Today is like yesterday. With a little work I think I can make a day that is not the same one two three four two two three today is today and i'm awake today is like yesterday with a little work i think i can make a day that is not the same let my thoughts run wild with my words i trace a path to a secret place step along the the music flows and the sun and the songbirds play. Wash over me, wash over me. Don't matter if I don't know the way. Wash over me, wash over me. Don't matter if I'm late or if I stay. That was a song called I'm Awake by Lynn Jackson. Lynn just happens to be my very special guest today. My name is Stuart McKee, and this is Musicians FAQ. My guest this week is a dynamo on the local scene. She's loved and respected by her peers and by her fans. She's been writing, recording, and performing for nearly 20 years, and she's prolific as hell. She's also a very talented painter whose artwork graces and colors the new album beautifully. Her 12th release, which just came out this March, does not disappoint. It's a dynamic collection of sounds and stories brought to life by the carefully chosen instrumentation and astute production. I Am Only the Moon is fierce and tender, searching and powerful, as she once again draws us into her world and characters with enduring narratives and strong melodies and a lot of heart. She's got a beautiful and haunting voice, and she is my guest this week on Musicians FAQ. All right, so joining me on Musicians FAQ this week is Lynn Jackson. Lynn, welcome to the show. Hi, Stuart. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. I've been looking forward to chatting with you. been uh, following you a little bit with um, Facebook and all the uh, socials as kind of our whole world is built around that these days, um, realizing that you're doing more than music. You're doing painting as well. Um, that's something I just picked up over the last two years during the pandemic. It was just something I'd try out. My grandmother on my mother's side was a an oil painter, landscape painter, and really good, actually, I thought so. But I never thought of trying it until a couple of years ago. And I thought, well, I'll just, I've got some time to spare. I'll just give it a whirl. And I found it really relaxing and meditative and yeah. very, obviously very different from performing, but it's a, it's a cool way to express yourself. And it's a, a totally different animal from live music. So I, I'm glad I discovered it. It's, it's just so relaxing. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I think, I mean, I, I certainly are some famous musical artists like John Mellencamp and Ronnie Wood and, um, you know, I'm sure Joni there's Mitchell. many, Joni Mitchell, that's right. Yeah. So, um, 
I, you know, I think it kind of goes with it. I mean, especially if you remember the days of, you know, album covers and things like that before CDs and before online streaming when, you know, that, that cover. Yeah. (laughs) There's still CD shoppers. I still like to have the physical product in my hand. Me too. Me too. Um, And I, you know, like I, that's kind of why I still make like physical copies. This, This actually, this, package this i am only the moon package that i'm holding up it um features a few of my paintings on the front back and the inside and nice. plus it, i like i've always been a person to not only look at the artwork but i immediately open it up and look at all the liner notes and who wrote yeah. the songs and who played on what and i've always been kind of a music geek that way i have to know these things yeah yeah me too that's that's come up <laughs> with, with a few interviews that i've done in the past i was definitely that guy uh connecting the dots and uh you know i mean i remember picking up like an old jeff beck album years ago at the record store and i'm like oh my god ronnie wood's on here and, and rod stewart's <laughs> on here and wow this was produced by this guy and yeah it's, it's crazy how you uh um, and, and it's funny because, I mean, Spotify and a lot of the algorithms, a lot of the online stuff is kind of built that way where it pulls things in and it kind of brings, you know, if you're into this, you might be into this and it connects this person with that person. And, and as much as I read all those liner notes and all the magazines and, and watched as many shows as I could watch, there's still surprises from me where I go, oh, well, you know, there's a bass player for Robin Trower's band. And yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, I had no idea that he'd been in this other band way back in the 60s. And I said, oh, that's where this guy came from. Because you figure everybody's come from somewhere. Um, There's very few people that just kind of play in one band and then that's it. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, uh, being 47, I still am of, I guess, that age group that, that likes the tactile, like having something in my hand. Yeah. that I can look at and um, investigate and it, and it sometimes leads me to other records and other other albums yeah, by artists. yeah no I, and I noticed that with your album I was, and I was going to ask I thought there was some of your art that was involved um because I think you know there's you and there's I think somebody I think her name is Bridget Melody I hope I got that right um I've seen her online a lot as well and I actually talked to her about maybe using some of her paintings for an album cover and I did that with a with a friend of mine that I know in England and I used to work with and she lived here in Canada years ago and she was she had started painting a couple years ago uh, mostly outdoor stuff and we end up falling in love with one of the pictures that she did and we end up using it for an album cover that song I did with CJ Cooper so it's very cool so you know yeah I've been keeping an eye on your stuff thinking looking for something that might inspire me I might buy a print from you and say hey that could be a great album cover for my next single or something (laughs) But I, I guess that's kind of what we have to do these days. I mean, it's there's so many restrictions on live performance and so many restrictions on earning money with streaming that you've really got to diversify and just kind of do everything and anything you can to kind of stay in the creative world, but try to make it, some money as well. It definitely has been challenging for a lot of people over the past couple of years. Um, I have been lucky to find work again after being out of work, as I said, for five years, I, I work as a copy editor for the news. Um, I worked at the record for 12 years uh, until they amalgamated their staff with another sister paper. So that left um, a good chunk of us in our forties and fifties kind of well, we're kind of kicked to the curb. Yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. want to sound bitter about it, but um, and but I've always known, um, I've always, I've always had to have another job as well as doing my music. And I really love working in the journalism field. That that is another love of mine. So um, I don't consider it, um, you know, necessarily a negative. It just means a lot of your time is taken up between doing the two things, the, right, uh, right. the working job and then the, the more passionate job that doesn't always pay as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, no, and, and I can relate. I mean, and doing this radio show has been a, a passion project of mine for sure. I mean, as somebody who's, you know, trying to establish himself in the music industry, but also somebody who's just a big fan of musicians um, and especially local musicians, people that I've known and followed for years and I want to be able to support in any way that I can. Um, So, but I mean, and certainly journalism on your end ties in, I mean, in terms of 
reviews and interviews and bios and, and so many things. So I mean, yeah, but actually let me say it is difficult because most uh, reputable papers and publications have very strict conflict of interest oh, uh, clause. Okay. So it was actually more difficult with me working for a newspaper to be able to get coverage for this I mean, I started playing music more than 20 years ago. I put out my first album in 2004. And I started working for the record in fall of, in September 2002. So, uh, yeah, it it just, uh, it became more difficult for my particular circumstance. Uh, Although I did manage to get some coverage now and then. Oh, that's good. Uh, Like like from the local paper for press and reviews around the world and internationally and across Canada. Um, those have come through and they're all up on my website. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. yeah it, it's funny. I think much like um, we were talking about with having that, the CD in your hand or the record and reading the liner notes and that tangible product uh, is the same with newspapers. Like I still miss newspapers and magazines. I mean, I still subscribe to living blues and Rolling Stone and, and American songwriter, and I get the actual hard copy. So they give you, I agree. you know, they give you a choice when you get the subscription. Do you just want the digital copy or do you want both? And I get the hard copy because the digital usually comes with it anyways. Um, I don't want to spend my entire life sitting in front of my computer screen. No. So I actually read book books still. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and I, when I want a new book, if it's only available in the digital copy, I will get it. But as a last resort, I our house is filled with um, CDs and bookshelves all over the place. So we're both fans of getting our information that way. Yeah, I think I think it's a good thing. Uh, and I used to love to read multiple newspapers a day. I mean, for me, it was great if we were traveling. Uh, especially in the states or something in a big city and there'd be you know newspapers from all over the world that they'd have in the lobby that you know i sit there for hours just reading you know london press or new york times or whatever um toronto star but uh and it's funny my sister what's that newspapers are great oh they are Uh, when i went to college we still did pay step wow in the late 90s we did Mm. pay step or you know we uh, we were learning computer programs but in the late nineties, I think I was one of the last classes to still learn paste up. If you don't know what that is, look it up. (laughs) I, uh, well, it's funny when we stopped getting the paper delivered, but my sister had just texted me about an old family friend who passed away at 101. I thought, Oh my God, I thought she died years ago, but um, you know, I I was thrilled to see that they made it that far. But I said, she was talking about reading the obituaries in the record. I said, wow, are you still getting the paper? She goes, yeah, every Saturday. <laughs> I was like, A lot of people read their obituaries. Yeah, I get uh, it. Well, I, I think that's one of the sad conditions as we get older, we become our it parents. Is, it is kind of sad, <laughs> but I think it's a way of people to keep track of sure. what's going on as they get older. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're seeing a lot of those posted daily with the uh, rock stars and comedians right. and actors. Yes, I mean, yes. I, you know, we're, we're close in age. I've got 10 years on you, but I mean, you know, we probably have a lot of similar touchstones in terms of, of, of the, of the, of the musicians and the actors and the, and the comedians of the day. And it's amazing. Like it's just a nonstop, you know, the last bunch of years have been horrible as far as losing all yeah, these legends, and, a lot. Um, you know, I'm going to wake up one day and not recognize anybody. <laughs> just right. Like, right. Uh, right. Tell me. 
song called The Working Life from Lynn Jackson's brand new album, I Am Only the Moon. So we got we kind of tore into this, which is great because I, I find it fascinating, all the different things that you're doing um, and you do them all well. And, but I wanted to maybe take it back for a second, just always kind of like to, with this show, go back to the very beginning, sort of the basic stuff, you know, where were you born and what was your childhood like and what led you to music or to a creative life? Um, okay, well, I was born in Stratford, Ontario, just down the road, and um, uh, to a single mother. He was 17 years old, and um, I'd say based on that, uh, my childhood had a lot of struggles and a lot of upheaval, and um, it was uh, around the time I was in uh, about 12 years old, that my mother remarried and oh I should say I was born in the Stratford area but then we relocated to the Ingersoll area where I spent most of my public school years and then and I was in um school orchestra there they had stringed instruments I played violin which I loved and then my mother remarried and we moved to Lucknow which I don't know if you know where that is. I it's sure about a 15 minute drive in from Lake Huron. Yeah, yeah. So if you go, if you drive from Kitchener past Listowel, keep going. I went to Wingham High School. Wow. Um, Lucknow only is a town of only a thousand people. <laughs> so, you know, there wasn't a lot to do unless you had your license and can drive out of, could drive out of town. Yeah. Um, and the music, the instrumentation at the Wingham High School was brass. So I ended up playing trombone uh wasn't my first pick i was really aiming for sax but i i just drew the short straw i guess and trombone wasn't bad i i could learn bass clef whereas with the violin i had learned treble clef so it was a different uh learning experience and i spent time in school band and jazz combo and and then uh, briefly there was a choir and i ended up performing violin with the choir but i'm feel like I'm going on, I'm going all over the place and giving lots of information, but um, yeah, does that answer? Yeah, well, that, well, that's kind of neat. I mean, cause, so it sounds like the music was there like right at the beginning um, with, with band and the violin. And, and so, I mean, I had played saxophone in school band, but I was terrible. I never really took to it and I wish I had. Uh, and it's one of those instruments that I want to get back to eventually and it's funny as you're talking about Wingham and Lucknow I mean I toured with Major Hoople's boarding house for years as a roadie back in the 80s so we played all those small towns and right. played up, we played up in that area a lot and my good friend Grant Haywood is actually from Wingham as well and his dad Earl Haywood and that whole family and I think uh, Kevin Westfall a friend of ours 
wrote a song called Lucknow. <laughs> so, okay. uh, which he's got out uh, somewhere. He does a lot of kind of fun novelty songs and small town kind of stuff. And, uh, but um, I should also say um, as kid, I really loved to sing. Um, my mother liked, had a small record collection, but she really liked, uh, you know, bands from the seventies, like uh, Cat Stevens and Dr. Hook and the Commodores and, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think we eventually had some, I think a neighbor came over and left a bunch of records one day. So we also had some Simon and Garfunkel, Mamas and the Papas, who I love, um, uh, early Rolling Stones and, um, Linda Ronstead. I loved Linda Ronstead. And, uh, and then later on, my parents listened to a lot of old country. So I grew up with all those influences and I, from a really young age, I really love to sing. Yeah. I really love to sing. And um, yeah, I kind of do that when my parents were out of the house. I'd put on some records on an actual record player and uh, sing along with, you know, Dolly Parton or uh, Linda Ronstead or Simon Garfunkel. That's awesome. Well, it's until, until I heard the door creak open <laughs> and my parents were back and I would just like quiet as a mouse run up oh, to my no. room. So. Well, I mean, you're lucky that your parents had such a, such a great collection of music. I mean, that sounds more like the collection of music that my older brother and sister had and, and their friends. And then I eventually kind of got into a lot of that, that music as well. My parents were more into the big band stuff. I mean, we did have some common ground on Johnny Cash and they liked some oh, of the yeah. Beatles and some of Elvis Presley. And so we'd kind of meet in the middle ground there, but they weren't big on the 60s, 70s um, singer songwriter rock bands or any of that kind of stuff. But uh yeah, well, my so, mother's only 17 years older than I am. That's have, right. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my parents are 33 years older. Um, <laughs> so, and was your mother musical as well? Did she sing or play or? No, she wasn't. Uh, she, she's always said her best courses when she was in school was, um, was phys ed and art. <laughs> but um she obviously dropped out of school after grade nine to have a baby. So, yeah. yeah. Well, obviously she's passed down some of the art genes to you. So that, that's exciting. Um, and the music stuff, um, you know, what about anybody else, other friends and uh, family members or people around when you're growing up that played? Well, um, like I was saying, the only person that really showed any uh, artistic interest or merit was my grandmother my mother's mother who was a painter Um, I don't have any siblings um, and I'm not in close contact with much of the extended family and I don't know too much about my father's side of the family so the music then you kind of found that on your own I mean playing in the school band and listening to records and what listening about, to CKNX radio and yeah nice um <laughs> and, and, and what about you know playing guitar and uh and getting sort of more into being a singer songwriter I, I didn't actually pick up a guitar until um an uncle gave me a guitar uh an uncle on my biological father's side gave me a guitar shortly after his funeral in 1994 when I was in my first year of university, um, I, it was it was kind of an odd gift. Uh, we I didn't know him very well, but I appreciated it until I tried to play it, and yeah. the action was so high, the strings were so high off the fretboard. It was uh, it was a a smaller pan guitar, I believe, and it was I don't know if if they're a cheaper guitar but it was definitely not easy to play but that was the first guitar I ever had and I was determined to try to figure out how to play some chords so by this point I had been through university and college and had lots of OSAP loans that I breathing down my neck and um anyway uh that's when I first picked up a guitar and I eventually saved up enough money from my job to uh to pick up something that was a little easier to play and I kept going in high school I was writing lyrics and poetry and once I started to play guitar I could see that I would be what at one point blending them together the music and the words so 
was actually going to be my next question. I was going to like, when did the writing start? And I think with a lot of people, um, it does start with the lyrics or poetry or, or things like that. I've actually heard the opposite other than Leonard Cohen. <laughs> I've heard a lot of people start with the music and then work the lyrics in, but I actually started with the lyrics and work the music in. Yeah. Yeah, for- that's what I have heard anyway. Yeah, I, I can't remember with me. I remember writing a song when I was a kid and I didn't play any instruments and I just wrote out the lyrics. But it really, I think when I got into songwriting, it was picking up the guitar. I mean, and there's equally a lot of people I know, but I think on this, a lot of people that I've interviewed on this show, um, and it and it seems to be split kind of by gender, um, oddly enough, where a majority of the female people that I've interviewed on this show, a lot of them did start with singing and lyrics. And a lot of the guys started with guitar playing and kind of, some of them, you know, didn't even intend to get into songwriting. It happened kind of by accident or grudgingly. I mean, for me, I, I started picking up the guitar and kind of playing chords and playing riffs and kind of trying to hum along to it and come up with some melodies and lyrics. So. Well, I do remember uh, when I was starting to meld those two things together, I started to go to my first open mics in the city in Kitchener, probably around 1998, 1999. Um, and I noticed at that time, there weren't a lot of girls who played instruments on stage or played right. gu- guitar. There, there was one other girl that went to play guitar and sang. And most of the other women that came, they would sing, but they would have uh, a boy accompanying, accompanying right. them on guitar. Yeah. And yeah. I thought, and right away, um, something clicked. And I thought, if I want to play my own music the way I want it to sound, I better get into this guitar thing. And I, <laughs> I mean, some people play piano, but I didn't have access to a piano and having come from playing, playing violin for a few years, I was really into stringed instruments. So I, I just picked up the guitar. It's of course, it's a totally different instrument, but um, yeah, I saw it as a vehicle to uh, express my own thoughts and my own sounds in my own way.
Oh, just beautiful. I was carried away. That is Old Familiar Song by Lynn Jackson from her fabulous new album, I Am Only the Moon. Well, and it's funny, as we were talking earlier about Joni Mitchell, I mean, I remember seeing a clip um, of her on the Bob Dylan Rolling Thunder review, and it really, that's kind of what it was. It was all the boys sitting around at Gordon Lightfoot's house, and they're all guitar players, and then she sits down, and she starts playing this open tuning, and you know, she's playing circles around these guys. <laughs> I mean, they're all singing and well, and they're all writing good songs, but I mean, most of them are just kind of strumming and doing your general finger picking. And then she's doing all this kind of crazy stuff and they're just sitting there with their jaws dropped. <laughs> um, but she was an oddball. I mean, it, it, you know, I mean, bands like Heart um, certainly had to deal with a lot of chauvinism and discrimination. That song Barracuda is about, you know, some nasty record executive guy who, Great you know, song. yeah. So it's, um, and but it's funny what you're saying. I, cause I, I saw that growing up too. Um, and then when I was at the boathouse a few years ago, I was starting to see more female singer songwriters with the guitar and with the ukulele. And, and that seems to be really yeah, taken off fantastic. on social media. Yeah. I mean, it's I, definitely different now than when I started playing in the late nineties. For sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, things have, it, it seems like thing, I don't want to give a blanket generalization, but it does seem like, uh, more women are playing their own stuff. And and I think that's really important. I think so too. A lot of guitar, uh, female shredders out there too. These guitar players yeah, just wailing on the guitar. <laughs> yeah. to, you know, but uh, Fantastic yeah, it is, it is high time for sure. Um, so do you remember, do you still play or have some of the, the first songs or was it just kind of um, a work in progress for years before you um, started. they went on my first album which night songs which came out in april 2004 nice um yeah the first song i ever wrote is the last song on that album i don't have any more physical copies left because it's been 18 years <laughs> i have actually if i have one copy that i that um Busted Flat happened to find in Florida and thought it would be funny to buy it. So it just arrived the other day. I don't know how it ended up in Florida, but I have one copy of my original album and I plan to keep it. That's cool. That's cool. But yeah, Uh, a lot of my originals, my very first foray into songwriting, it's all on that record. 16 songs on my first (laughs) record. That's amazing. Is (laughs) is there like an, an artist or a first song or something that that really inspired you to say, I mean, you were going out these open mics and things and seeing people, but there's just somebody specifically in particular or a couple of people that really said, I want to do that. I want to do what she's doing or I want to do what he's doing or. Um, I wouldn't say there was anything specifically. Um, like I said, when I was a, when I was a teenager, that was the stuff I was listening to because I was living in a small town and I didn't have access to a record store. And, you know, it was, it was the eighties and nineties. So it wasn't like I was going online to get stuff. I was listening to the radio, listening to my parents' records collection and, um, you know, going to the local department store and picking up cassettes. Uh, I, 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 later on, I would say my influences, like in the late 90s, I started to discover artists like Elvis Costello and later on Lisa Williams, who were two of my favorites. Uh, I still love lots of old country music that I grew up with when I was young. Um, but also going to the local open mics, there was a bit of a community there. Actually, there was another woman, an older woman who came out and, and played guitar as well. But the, at the various open mics around the city in the late 90s, the community, it was kind of a loose-knit community of men and women who were coming out. And um, they were very supportive. So it, I just felt confident enough in that group to start getting up on stage, get my stage legs, so to speak, and then... The bar owner at one of the one of the open mics was the first person to offer me a gig, and that was 1999, I think. <laughs> Very cool. So. And how, how did you get hooked up with Busted Flat Records? Um, I had put out my first album in April 2004, and in the summertime, um, Mark Logan he also who runs busted flat records he also owns and operates encore records the record store in downtown kitchener 
my favorite. So one. I just wanted to sell some copies. So I, I took the re encore. I took them a six copies, five to sell and one play copy, and. I saw him put it on a stack of CDs high on a shelf. And I was like, okay, then. <laughs> and um, people were dropping stuff off all the time yeah, for them to sell on consignment. And they don't take a cut. It's a great place to sell your stuff. Um, but it wasn't until about six months later that he sought me out while I was out actually at a Paul McLeod show and um, said, I finally listened to your record and I really liked it. Uh, and he wanted to help me put out my next record. That's so awesome. nice. <laughs> that's how that happened. So that happened actually, um, was that the, that might've been the night of the big tsunami. <laughs> oh, no. uh, yeah, I was, um, I think it was in late 2004. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. That's so he approached me about putting up and at that time the only person on his label was Shannon Lyon. Okay. He had started the the label for <clears throat> to put out Shannon's music. Ah, okay. Makes sense. Yeah, some some great names Shannon, Paul McLeod, this that guy. Um so uh, like do you co-produce or do you have him or do you have a producer for your records or is it uh Mark doesn't produce anything. No. He simply um as the label he he has nothing to do with the studio uh he can he can help pay for costs it depends on what your deal is with him or your situation but he doesn't do your bookings and he doesn't have any say in producing your album um so i i have produced or co-produced all of my albums except for one in 2017, which was produced by Michael Timmons of the Cowboy Junkies. And uh, I specifically wanted to get out of the chair and see what happened with a different producer at the at the reins. Nice. So. And, and how did that connection come about? Um, Mark actually just emailed him. Mark hmm. Logan just contacted him and the Cowboy Junkies were playing the Blues Fest that summer. Um, on the tent stage in the park so yeah, yeah. we went and met him briefly right after their set and we had a chat and I had sent him Mark had sent him some of my earlier CDs and yeah we had a brief chat and the terms were agreed to and we went from there that's very cool that's awesome yeah it seems like they'd be he'd be a good fit for for you as well um so how many albums now to date have you had out? You've been I have pretty, 12. I was going to say, you've been prolific. as I have 12, including <laughs> um, uh, a side project that I have from a couple years ago called Shipwreck Radios, which is more alternative rock. Okay. But I wrote all the songs on that too, and I put the band together, and I produced that as well. So, so that's included in the 12 albums. That that's, came out in 2017. That's incredible. Or 2018, um, actually. Now, are you, do you normally play on your own or you play with a band or does it depend on the venue or the, or the music? It depends on yeah. what's required at the venue. Um, it depends on the setting. It depends on the pay. Yeah, <laughs> it depends course. if I can afford a band. Uh, a lot of times when I had solo across Canada, it made more sense to go on my own. Um, or I would take another Buster Flat artist, but I would generally do all of the booking, all the routing, all the cold calling, um, a lot of the press, <laughs> pretty much uh, a Jill of all trades when it comes yeah. to touring Canada and and uh, getting all your ducks in a row. Nice, good for you. That's all. That's awesome. Um, so, what about upcoming um, projects and that the? Um, well, I just put out an album. Yeah, that I was going to say that one just came out, right? <laughs> I just put it out at the okay. end of March. So it's it's really just kind of working that one for the next and little while. Pre and previously, I put out Lionheart in May of 2020. Okay, and there was supposed to be a big show at the Starlight, which of course got canceled due to the pandemic, and right. now now the Starlight is closed, unfortunately. Yes. Yeah, we went to see. So uh, there there really aren't any. I was trying to think of a place I might do a show 
um, but were, we've lost a couple of venues and um, I, I have a, about eight different people that play on this and not everybody is comfortable yet getting together to practice the songs in, in a group setting. So uh, honestly, I've decided just to brainstorm more about it. I did, I did decide to make a video for the title track, I Am Only the Moon. It features myself and Rob Damon. I released that the same day as the record. Uh, I just, I wanted it to be more of an event because there wasn't going to be a show immediately. Right. And um, it was just a way to reach people and say, hey, look, I have a new album. This is this is the title track and try to get people's attention with all the stuff that's going on in social media these days. And yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's thick with competition for sure. Um, it's interesting. I went to see uh, Rock This Town on the weekend. Um, the movie at the Princess Theater about the history of of live music and right. uh, they they made a point of that at the at the end of you know uh, the the different music venues that have closed down um, you know some of it pre pandemic um, with the Boathouse which you have been actively involved with the uh, memories of the Boathouse and posting those kind of things and um, is <laughs> yes any- I played there many times I had probably had about four CD releases there. I had tea with the Jane Bond. Um, but yeah, um, Busted Flat had uh, the last Saturday of every month. So Busted Flat artists would play on the last Saturday of every month at the Boathouse. Right. So it was a regular standing gig for the label. Um, so various people on the label would team up and and like co-bill, I guess, like right. two or three people on a bill. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. That's the way. That's the way they used to do it back in the in the in the early days of rock and roll. You have all these different artists on a on a bus and on tour together, and whether they were all label mates or what what it was, but you know they come out and play a couple of songs, and the next one come out and play a couple of songs. And uh, I love those kind of shows. I think it's 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 a really good way to showcase and you know a uh, little bit of something for everybody. I think and right, you, yeah. you might you might come out for a specific artist, and then you see somebody else and go, wow, she's really absolutely. Great. That yeah. was the plan. That was yeah. the plan of it. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any word on on the boathouse? I know there was a movement um, by I think Pete Temple and different people to try to get it going again. But uh, there was just an article by Terry Pender, um, who just did a story on my new album. But uh, people can look that up. I I didn't read it completely in depthly, but uh, I think basically the the land is owned by the city. The yeah. building is owned by the city. So to have an operator come in, but still have the city um, have that much power into what happens there. I think that that is a bit of an issue for potential owners that want to come in and do things their way. I, I mean, the, I I really need to go back and read the article, yeah. but I think and i think it needs a significant investment it, it, uh, it i'm does. i just uh, yeah. i really have to go back and read up on it again it's been so long since i've looked into that stuff but i think that's the crux of um, yeah. the difficulty but again terry pender just did a story in the record um like the same week that my album came out so yeah. the the end of march third week of march yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, I mean, previous owners uh, that I'd worked with and and before. I mean, everybody sunk a, a ton of money into that place, and yeah, there seems to be a lot of restrictions on what you can do and very little support about what you need to get it done. And um, you know, whether it's marketing or advertising or parking accessibility would be a, a really good thing for that venue. And also, don't forget that um, you know there are a group of people who definitely want it to be a live music venue again. Yeah, and then there are a group in the neighborhood who don't, who don't like yeah. the noise. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> so there are a lot of different factors um, yeah. that anybody who was going to take it over and try again is kind of up against. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah, the music and the sound definitely echoes across that lake at night. Um, so, I mean, I'm certainly empathetic with the neighbors to a point, but, uh, you know, screw them. <laughs> <laughs> live music, more, more live music.
Watching you watch yourself worked up and sold out. Glory behind your eyes and in front. There is no mystery in this sound. Young limbs flailing, bodies dancing, not quite in time. Raspy words escaping to the stale air, lyrics to a worn out song. Yeah, people singing along. track from lynn jackson's new album i am only the moon that's a song called superstar so with the songwriting um and i haven't really kind of checked the credits on the back of your cds and things but um do you write everything on your own do you sometimes co-write or do you have a preferred method of songwriting i actually this might sound kind of funny but i don't understand how people (laughs) co-write i mean i did co-write a song with paul mcleod years ago it's on my album coming down from 2010 but uh, I just um I can't write a song unless I'm in the right 
frame of mind to write a song. Right. I can't schedule a time to get together with somebody yeah. and write a song. It has never worked that way for me. I, um, I'm usually practicing in, in whatever rehearsal space I have, uh, I could be practicing, you know, pub cover songs. I play, I play those gigs as well. Um, and that, you know, I play about 200 pub cover songs. So those take some maintenance. For sure. So I am regularly or for, for a time, for a long time, I was regularly practicing for those kinds of shows as well as the original shows. Um, so I don't really, I don't really set out to write, a song in a night or whatever I just I'm I'm with my guitar I'm hanging out or I'm listening to music I listen to a lot a wide variety of stuff um from kind of folky songwriting to rootsy <clears throat> to Lucinda Williams or um Elvis Costello Cat Power uh or grunge I really like grunge <laughs> and really and punk and hard rock so I will be listening to all of these things and sometimes something will click in my brain and I will <clears throat> have an inspiration or an idea and then I will try it out. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But this is also going to be a funny thing to say. Most of the time, if it's working out, I, I get on a roll and I finish the song in one night. Mm-hmm. I'd say about 90% of the songs that I've written over 12 albums, they have come together in one night. Yeah. And then I use GarageBand. I get them, get down a rough version of the song before I forget it and uh, get the lyrics written out or typed out. And that's how it works for me. I know that definitely is not how it works for a lot of other people. Um, that's just, that's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, there there have been songs that I could see the potential in and I've had to come back to over time. Yeah. There is one on this album that I started to write 10 years ago, uh, No Direction Home. It's kind of a piano ballad. I heard it as a soul song and I only had the first section 10 years ago. And I kept going back to it over the years and I, I just, I kept blanking out on it until finally... Um, a couple years ago the rest of it just came flowing out so that's one example of something that took some time to write but I mean nothing is forced it just happens and I'm never under the gun to oh I need to put out a record I need to get a batch of songs together Uh, because I pay for everything myself or with help from the label it gives me the freedom to make music the way I want to make it and more naturally. And it just happens that <laughs> it just, when I get a collection of songs together, that's when I put out an album and it just happens to be every year or two years that, that I have enough songs in a collection that I put together. Mm-hmm. Once in a while, there's a song that I leave off because it doesn't fit the vibe of what I'm doing. And again, on this album, uh, there's a song called green eyes. That's, of kind of a soul song <clears throat> and it's been kicking around since 2012 and I finally found a place for it. So awesome. does that yeah. answer? That was really long answer. Does no, that answer well, that was a, that was a good answer. And I, and I, I mean, cause there are a lot of people who have kind of a specific way to write and there are kind of like those co-write thing. Yeah. I can't do the scheduled co-writes. I've tried that a few times uh, when I do co-write and it's only with a sort of a small group of people that I really click with a lot of it is like, Hey, bring, we bring a couple of ideas and it's like, you know, I'll help you finish that idea. Or you help me finish this idea because I know it's kind of, it'll be something that they'll bring something good to, or they'll, they know it's something that I'll bring something good to, but yeah, I, I write mainly on my own and I'm, I'm the same way. If I have the time, I like to finish the song. If I'm inspired by something, I like to follow through. I do have a lot of unfinished pieces because ideas will come to me randomly in the middle of the night and I'll go back to sleep or because I got to go off to work or because something else is coming up. I mean, if I got an idea before the show here, then I just put on my voice notes on my phone and then try to get back to it. My problem is I have hundreds and hundreds of these voice notes and it's trying to keep up with them. And, um, but yeah, I do have a lot of songs that just get 
written they just come out and they they're complete yeah. and then that's i probably have about 50 on my old laptop that are yeah. partial songs yeah and i keep them around just in case and and like that happened with the the one song the piano bell that i was telling you about uh i'm glad i kept that around because i really thought it was going to be something special and, and i'm pleased with how it turned out yeah. after yeah. after 10 years That's it for part one of my interview with Lynn Jackson. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be here again next week with part two of my interview with Lynn Jackson and some additional songs from her new album, including the title track, I Am Only the Moon. Thanks again for listening to Musicians FAQ. We're here every Monday at 10 a.m. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to Musicians FAQ Podcast with your host, Stuart McKee. We're here every week with great Canadian musical artists. 